If you'd open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, we'll read from there, and then we will pray and hear from God's Word. The Scripture says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus is, is concluding the Sermon on the Mount. He is done laying out the, uh, the categories and the topics, and now he is drawing all things to a conclusion. Uh, and he closes with a, a number of examples. And this is the first of four. He says this in chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we come to this text this morning, and uh, Jesus is, is issuing a solemn warning. And so we want to be solemn and to appreciate the gravity, the intensity of what he's saying. And yet we want to do it with joy. The gate is narrow. The road is difficult. And there are so many temptations along the way that would distract us or lead us astray. But we know this that through the gate and at the end of the road there is joy. And you are our traveling companion throughout. And we have our brothers and sisters in the church who we travel with throughout. And so we can say, as we take up the narrow road, that your burden is easy and your yoke is light because you are there with us. And you have given us brothers and sisters along the way. So thank you. We pray that we would hear and receive this word from your word with joy and that we would follow you, Jesus. We pray. Amen. Um, when you are on safari in Africa by Victoria Falls, uh, there's a, a path. Once you, once you finish the, the basic tour of Victoria Falls, there is an optional road down to a place called the Boiling Point, and uh, it says in the, in the journey, or the little, the little pamphlet, it says it's about 30 minutes added to your safari experience if you go that way, right? So I'm thinking, I'm in Africa, I am going to get my money's worth, you know, I paid whatever it was, 10 American dollars to get in here, I'm going to get every cent out of this experience. I am going to go that way because I am a path-walking ninja. And so you, uh, you go past the sign, and you walk and meander and go, and you see this wonderful pool of swirling water. It's just amazing. It's called the boiling pot, right? And it's, it's just all this churning, swirling uh, water. It's, it's, it's wonderful to look at. It's loud, you know, and, and there's all kinds of birds flying around. And... Um, it's just beautiful, and so I'm glad I went down there. But getting back up, you don't realize when you're going down that if it's this easy to go down because it's a downhill path, right? You know, it's going to be twice as hard to go back. The steps going back up were so big 
The path was full of warning signs, right? Like the signs don't face you as you're going down. They're like, beware of, there's a, I wish I had the picture. I wish I could find it. I was looking for it. There's a sign that says, beware of, but all the rest of the paint had eroded away. <laughs> it's Africa. Nobody cares about the sign being there. They're like, it's Africa. You could, you could die here, you know? So um, they, they, they never painted it over what it actually said. So, so you're coming back, there's like, you can hear noises and see eyes and there's monkeys like running all around up on the ridgeline and you might think, oh, monkeys, I've seen them in cartoons. I have emojis of monkeys on my phone. Like, no, they are, they, they are dangerous, they say. Getting down was easy, getting out was painful. A posted sign or a warning about the difficulty would have let me know what I was getting into. I probably would have done it anyway. But a sign would have been nice. Jesus makes sure as he ends the Sermon on the Mount that he issues a strong warning to all who hear him. They have heard chapters 5, 6, and 7. They've, they've heard all the teaching, what, what some have described as the Everest of human ethics. And now Jesus calls them to commit. It is better to choose to follow Christ than to follow our own instincts. It's better to choose to walk his road than to drift aimlessly. It's better to choose to heed his warning and to follow him than to choose not to decide and to wander. This is more than just a call to salvation. This is written, yes, as a word to those who have not definitively chosen to follow Christ, but it is also written to the followers of Jesus. Jesus warns us in this passage by means of contrast. He's going to demonstrate value here, and so we're going to see uh, uh, contrasting ideas. Okay, Jesus says that there are two gates. You'll see there in verse 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Have you ever thought, even though uh, uh, that, that, that often places are well-designed and there are doors that you can go through, that, that we hit limitations everywhere, right? There are, there are concrete walls and, and windows and metal gates and doors that have to be unlocked in order to, for us to go through them. We hit limitations everywhere. We were at Ikea over on the other side of the bridge after we dropped off the Zambia team two weeks ago. And, uh, and, and Ikea is easy to walk through. It's, it's, you know, it's like a great big showroom. Um, Nancy said to me, oh, I should have picked up this item. I said, where was it? She's like, oh, it was right at the very beginning. And so I was like, ah, I know, I can get it quickly. I'll just go the easy way, right? You can, you can go uh, at the College Park store. You can go out through the registers and then go through these double doors, and you're right back at the beginning. Uh, and so I picked up the item that she wanted, and I turned around to go back the short way, and there was a big sign that said, no merchandise allowed. And a smiling but slightly unpleasant American Ikea worker uh, if, if he was, like, from Ikea land, what is that, Sweden, he'd have been like, oh, sure, just go to the registers. But he's an American, and so he's like, hey, man, no merchandise through this door. So now I had to go the hard way, right? I had to wind my way back through the entire floor. 
through everything, passing slow-moving people with their carts and all the things that they're buying. And, and I'm, I'm like about to go in through a little gap, and somebody's like, oh, look, a thing that we don't really need, you know? And they go over to consider it, and I'm like, get out of my way. I'm trying to get out of here. The easy road meant I would have had to go through an IKEA team member, and that is not ethical. So I had to go the long and the harder way. Jesus says this, enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide that leads to destruction. In this case that he's talking about, it's not just a matter of getting somewhere quickly. It's talking about our ultimate destiny. The easy road leads to a dangerous destination. The wide gate described here is one of self-oriented thinking that allows everyone through with all of their baggage. There are no restraints or limits on the wide road, on the wide gate. We are allowed to retain all of our superficiality, all of our self-love, all of our hypocrisy, if we have mechanical, heartless religion, unrestrained ambition, rampant judgment of others, all of these can be placed in the cart. We can stroll, shop, charge it to our account. No one will stop us because that is the nature of the broad road. But the stakes regarding the kingdom are much higher. We must enter through the narrow gate. We have to enter through a narrow gate. Now, the experience that our team members were having over at the airport, they encountered the happy servants of the TSA, who they say, if you want to get on the plane and go to Africa, then you better check that carry-on bag twice. Dump those three ounces of water left in your water bottle, right? Ditch that suspiciously large tube of toothpaste, because you cannot take that with you. Everything needs to be left behind in order to go through the narrow gate. The narrow gate means renunciation. We need to abandon our sins, our selfish ambitions. We need to receive the check of all of our covetings. We need to lay aside our jealousies. Jesus will even say that we may have to make a decisive break with family and friends in order to choose Christ. We seek him as our first allegiance and all other things are secondary. Enter, he says, by the narrow gate. The gate is an image that Jesus uses to let non-committed followers, the casual followers of God, know that they must make a choice, that they need to say, I am going through, I am following, and that when I walk through this gate, that there is no turning back, that I will have to leave things behind. He's focusing them on the fact that they must make a commitment. How do we go through the gate? What is the gate? Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, by me, he will be saved. We must admit that we are a sinner in desperate need. We don't have the currency that we need to pay our way through the gate. The toll must be paid for us. The ticket must be placed in our hands. And this is what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. 
by his righteousness, he purchases with all of his goodness our salvation. His good works are given to us and our sins are placed on him. What an exchange. He receives all the bad and we receive all the good of it. And so we must make a decision that Christ is my Savior. He is my only confidence and my only trust. I put my faith in him and I follow him. But the decision is not enough. Though our instinct is often to stop there. Here's another contrast. Jesus says that there are two roads. And he calls us to embrace the hard road. Verse 13 says this, The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The road is here to remind followers that it needs to be walked. The life of the disciple of Jesus is one of daily, hourly, moment by moment, plodding forward in faith. There's a painting called The Narrow Gate, which, which pictures this, this slender doorway that we must enter through, and then this narrow foot-width path that leads up towards the clouds uh, with the glory of God shining out. And the people look like they're on a balance beam, putting one foot in front of the other, walking the narrow road. They say the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Some might think that they reduce the Christian life to one of decisionism, right? I, I made a decision for Christ, and that is all that counts. The journey of a thousand miles indeed begins with a single step, but it's also 333 hours away without breaks to Iowa City, which is just 1,008 miles from here on Google Maps, right? That's... 2,016,000 more steps on top of the one that you began. Like, it, there is a road that needs to be walked here. Hardship is not a negative sign in the Christian life. I'm suffering. What is going on? What did I do wrong? Maybe nothing. Maybe this is what it means to follow Jesus. One indication that we are on the right road is the presence of difficulty. God says that he disciplines every son that he loves. The natural way is the easy way. My grandfather used to say this, work smarter, not harder. That did not mean work easy, not harder, right? It meant use your intelligence and wisdom when you're doing work, not that work would never be difficult. Easy is natural because we don't like discomfort but walking the right road might mean and often does mean that we have to embrace a bit of pain the road that leads to destruction is easy and therefore it is tempting it demands very little from us other than we not pay much attention to where we are headed the spiritual way is the hard way discipline is required. Persecution expected and hardship must be embraced. C.S. Lewis puts words on the lips of the devil in the book, The Screwtape Letters, and his character 
who is seeking to tempt others and to teach others how to tempt believers says this, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And so be careful not to turn away from doing good and following what is right by negating the role of suffering. Because the easy road is a sure sign that you are headed to a dangerous destination. I I can't remember what sermon I was reading, but one word or one phrase leaped out at me from Charles one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons where he said, will Jesus forge a path to heaven in a river of his own blood and you get to be carried to heaven while you wear silver slippers? What an image. Hardship expected. But the narrow road is more than just a decision or hardship. There'll be people that we pass along the way. And that's why Jesus points out that there are two companies, two groups of companions. And he says, be among the few. The gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Do not be deceived. I think whenever we see the words, do not be deceived, we ought to think whatever is said next is something that it is quite possible, very likely, probable even, that we could be deceived about this. Right? Watch out. It's like if there's a sign that says dip, you know, they don't mean make sure you've got chips, right? It's like slow down a little bit because your car is going to be like ba-bump bump or like smash or scrape or something, right? The warning gives you uh, a, a connection to what is about to come. Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This is good advice from a dad before a road trip, isn't it? Pick your traveling companions well. Inspect them. Are you traveling with the right group? I believe walking the narrow road, there are two kinds of people, those who are urging you along to the destination and those you'd like to bring with you. So choose your companions well. Are they urging you in the right direction? Think about that. Everyone in the world fits into two categories. Let's talk in extremes. Everyone in the world, in your world, should fit into those two categories. Your closest allies, your most trusted advisors in life ought to be those who are on the narrow road. Because they, too, are headed in the right direction. And if they are not headed in the direction that you are headed, then they ought not to be charting your course. But second, those you encounter most ought to be those who you are urging to come with you. The grace of God shown to us, our understanding of our own sin and how far short we fall means that that we should desire that other people experience this too. And so we plead and urge them to lovingly come with us. 
They should not be looked down upon. They need to be urged to awaken. When we look at the world and we see people who oppose our beliefs and who insult us and who persecute Christians and who say that Christians are dumb and who, who just who mock the Lord Jesus, yes, we ought to chew the meat, spit out the bones, you know, not throw our pearls before figs, shake off the dust of our feet. But listen, they are never our enemies. The Bible says that we don't war against flesh and blood with powers and principalities. The battle is ultimately against spiritually dark forces, not against other human beings. They are not enemy combatants. They are potential family, potential companions. Think about it. Moses, murderer. Paul, who we owe the majority of the life of the church to in the New Testament, would we would have considered him a terrorist. And yet, the grace of God converts him into a close friend. How many of us can confess that we've read his words and spent time in this book and said, thank you, God, for this man who wrote these things. And yet, before he was a Christian, enemy. That's the natural thought. We view everybody not as an enemy, but as a potential brother. Closest allies, those who are on the narrow road, those we encounter most, those who ought to come with us. Let's not be deceived, though, about the nature of humanity as travelers. Because the scripture says that we are not ignorant, and that's why Jesus cries to the crowds to enter now, to find the narrow road. The Bible teaches us that we know what's right, and we know what's wrong in our hearts. But the unexamined life, as they say, is easy. And so many have become blissfully unaware or careless about the road that they're on. Look for others. Travel with others who have the same bumper sticker on their car. They're headed on the narrow road. I was driving to a, a conference with my son Jack, and I had, I had printed out a sign um, you know, that said that we were heading to this conference, and along the way, somebody's like coming up behind me fast, honking, you know, I'm driving, you know, get to the conference, and it's like, bam, 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 you know, and they're waving, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Well, they were apparently going to the same conference as, as me, you know, they're like, we have a connection, we're friends, I'm like, get away from me, you maniac, you know? So maybe meetings will be a little difficult at first. Um, look for those who need to come along and invite them to travel with you. Be careful, though, not to adjust your travel plans away from the destination to lighten up on the Jersey journey because easy roads lead to dangerous destinations. Instead, pray and share with them. Urge them to come along. These are the folks, I think those cards are still available on the, in the front, on, on, the, on the way, your way out, you'll see them, the My Five card. Pick those five people that you're encountering who you want to come to Christ and pray for them. Can you pick six? Sure. You want to pick ten? That's fine. But, but do you intentionally have a group of people that you're praying for who you want to bring along on the journey? Decisions, hardship, companions. It can be tough to sort it all out and to keep it 
all in place. But Jesus makes it simpler by pointing out that there are two destinies. And he says, consider the options. The way is easy, he says, that leads to destruction. I prefer the easy path because I prefer easy, right? Isn't that what Staples is building its entire business model on? Click, click, the easy button. Destruction. The way is hard that leads to life. Think about that. Hard, but you receive life. Easy leads to death. And so Jesus says, consider the options. John Stott, the famous preacher, says this. The terrible word destruction, and it is a terrible word, is terrible because God is properly the creator and not the destroyer. And man was created to live and not to die. And so this terrible word, destruction, seems at least to give us liberty to say that everything good will be destroyed in hell. Love and loveliness, beauty and truth, joy, peace and hope, and that forever. Forever cut off from everything good. I'm going to go to hell because all my friends are going to be there. You think? Friendship's good. It's not going to exist there. It's not. Stott finishes by saying it is a prospect too awful to contemplate without tears. Where does the road go? Jesus sets out two destinies for us and says choose. Deuteronomy 30 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, two options. And so ask the destiny question a lot. Where does this choice take me? Where does this relationship take me? Where does this behavior lead? And then choose wisely because the easy thing or the happy thing now will not necessarily lead to happiness later because of the test of what Jesus is saying here. The easy road leads to a dangerous destination, destruction. Life forever or death forever. And not death like Death and then it's over, but dying forever. The Bible uses the image of the worm that doesn't die and the fire that is not quenched. The fuel is never consumed, and so the fire does not go out. But I want you to be encouraged at this point. Jesus uses this image somewhere else in the scriptures. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 24, right before that, hearing the implications of what Jesus is saying about the narrowness of the road, someone says to him, Lord, are those who are going to be saved, will they be few? So few? Those who find it are few. Let's look at the definition of few as recorded by another disciple, the disciple John. And this is not a contradiction. Revelation 7, 4 You may have agonized over this passage. I want to drop some Bible science on you right here, all right? Revelation 7, 4. John hears this mystery that you might be like, what is that all about? It says, Revelation 7, 4, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. 
What is that? Is he going to talk about Revelation? What's that all about? Okay. 144,000. And then this precise number is listed. But in verse 9, it says, after this I looked. Okay. First I heard, and he heard a number. After this I looked. Now, this is, don't ask me how this works. I don't know, but this should be encouraging to you. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages right the the financial bean counters are like i must make this work somehow good luck come back and tell me when you figured it all out how it works a great multitude from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Amen, they sing, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the grace of God. The road may be lonely, but the company and crowd that we join will be innumerable. The road might be difficult, but anything worth learning or doing or pursuing is worth the pain and energy that it takes to get there. An impressive person who can do a thousand push-ups Right? And you're like, that is quite impressive. There was a point they could tell you where they could only do 10 or 1. They worked at it. They arrived at the destination because of determination. And so while he presents two options, Jesus is really saying that there is only one choice. Choose life, he says. Choose the narrow gate. Choose the narrow road. Choose the company of the few. Choose life. Choose me, he says, enter by the narrow gate. I find menus to be painful things, right? Because somebody will put a menu in front of you and there are dozens of options and then comes the menu moment with the waiter or waitress where they're like, what will you have? And all of your options, no matter how many there are, need to be narrowed down to one. Right? There may have been one occasion in my entire life where I was like, I'm going to order two things, but most of the time, right, you have to only choose one because you can't have everything. You must narrow your choice to one. If you're at Jersey Mike's, it is the classic club sandwich with the bacon. Why do they always say, do you want the bacon on it? What are you talking about? Of course I do. If you take it away, I will be angry. Jesus says here, you must narrow your choice to one. I found on Google Images a woodcut by an artist named Jan Leuken. This guy is not from the Eastern Shore. I think he's like from Dutchland. What is that? Sweden, the Netherlands. And he has this picture of a, of a man with a large burden in his hands. He's standing there holding this, this burden, and there's another man who's, who's gesturing to him and pointing to the, to the narrow gate. The man holds the world, a globe, and he will not be able to fit through the gate with it. He must choose. In Jeremiah 21.8, the Lord says through his prophet, 
Thus says the Lord, before you I set the way of life and the way of death. We must choose. But in truth, there is only one choice. Democratic decisions do not determine how we enter into God's kingdom. Majority opinion may rule in elections and dinner choices. That may or may not have been your political joke for the morning. Uh, but it does not rule over the gate to God's kingdom. Truth is not originated in the human heart either. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Truth is not personal. It's not popular. It's not conventional. It is revelational. God reveals his will plainly, and we must choose. Jesus says there is no middle way. There is the hard road, the easy road. There is not one for Goldilocks that is just right. There is no other gate. There's a broad way and a, and a narrow one. There's no neutral group, only the few and the many, and there's no third alternative between destruction and life. And so Jesus says, choose me, choose today, choose now. It's easy to say, I will fix things after lunch. There is no after lunch. There is afternoon slumber, right? After lunch. There is no later. He says, reject the easy road. When the disciples ask, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He says to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive, strain. Another translation says, make every effort. And so if you're here this morning and, and you are not a believer, you're like, I'm kind of checking this thing out. I haven't made a choice yet. I would say this, decide for Christ. Jesus says, I am the door. Release your grip on the world and self and reach out and take hold of him. Choose him as savior. Admit your need Believe that he is adequate and sufficient and will never leave you or forsake you. Call upon him for his grace. When we pray, you can pray along and then tell someone about the decision that you make. Tell me. For the believer, as we draw things down, let me just share five ways that you can strain, strive to remain on the narrow road. One, embrace hardship. Disciples acknowledge that suffering happens. Jesus says, if they persecuted the master, they will persecute you as well. If you're experiencing suffering, that's not just like take your portion and eat it and be happy. Don't receive it that way. There are companions on the road who can help you in the midst of your difficulty and suffering. God has a purpose for it, though. But it does not negate his goodness toward you. It's designed to increase your dependence upon him, but it needs to be embraced. Second, challenge your conventional thinking on morality and goodness. Revealed truth defines what we must believe, and God's revealed goodness imposes on us how we ought to behave. And so ask Jesus to teach you how to love what he loves. It's easy in our culture to let go of honesty to abandon keeping your word, to feel like you never have to apologize, to say, whatever, if two people love each other, why shouldn't they get married? Because God reveals his will. And Jesus loved God's will. 
And so we ought to receive his will. There are so many arguments that are, that are pro-choice, that are pro-abortion, that, that appeal to our feelings. And we're like, ah, who can fight with our feelings? Last time I checked, we're all supposed to check our feelings and to live with our, with our mind. Challenge your conventional thinking on morality and what is good and say, God, what would you have me do? And leave behind what's worldly and embrace what is good. Third, choose to embrace the Christian identity. Don't be ashamed to say, I am a Christian. I'm born again. I'm headed for heaven. Not because I'm good or great or because I, I, I shower and shave every single day, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Raise your flag at work. If you're making a new start in a new place, Make a definite start. Put your Bible right there on your desk on day one. Share the gospel. Number four, focus on becoming an encouraging conversationalist. Say to people, I am praying for you, then actually do it and follow up. Clarify what the gospel means when people express it wrongly, but make sure that the gospel is never about you being better, always about Christ being exactly what you need. And then finally, here's this. Take your next step. Whatever it is. Whatever the Spirit's been prodding you about that next step that you've been saying no to, just follow through on it. Because it means another step on the narrow road. Choose the way that leads to life. Jesus says it is a hard road, but it ends with a beautiful destination. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and and we thank you. Uh, It is considered rude in our culture to say there is no right to a choice or to multiple choices. We want a menu with 26 items on it. You give us one with two. You've still given us the ability to make a choice, though. And so we pray, based on what you have said, that we would do the right thing, that we would choose the right way and walk the right road. We thank you for your grace and your kindness toward us. For those looking to make a decisive start, for those looking to walk that narrow road, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in Christ. It is not difficult to choose. It is difficult to walk the road. So I pray that they would admit their need, cry out to you with a hungry, needy heart, and then walk in faith. We're thankful that you accept us where we are, how we are, without fear of condemnation when we come and say, forgive me, a sinner. Father, for those who've been walking this road, we pray that you would keep our eyes 